Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody today. Like Kathy said in the video, my name is Elliot, and I'm the Connection Pastor here. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to conclude this message series that we've been looking at for the last six weeks titled Authentic Christian. And the reason that we've been going through this series is because there's an increasing amount of confusion in our culture about what it means to be a Christian. See, on a survey, the majority of Americans will check the box indicating, I'm a Christian. But then, if you survey people who don't identify as a Christian, and you ask them, do you know any Christians, and they say yes, and then you ask them, well, is there a difference between how you live and how the person who claims to be a Christian lives, that individual, again, the majority of the time, will say, no, there's no difference. There's no difference between the way I live and I don't claim to be a Christian and the way that this person over here who I know claims to be a Christian lives. And so that kind of brings up the question, well, well, what's supposed to be different about a Christian? What are the indicators that somebody has placed their life in Christ and now Christ is working through them? And while our culture has a lot of ideas on what a Christian is, whether that's unintelligent or maybe boring, you know, Christians. It's like when you give your life to Christ, you can't have fun anymore, or maybe you give your life to Christ and now you have to support all these crazy ideas. Whatever our culture thinks about it, we've got to go back and see what God's Word says about it. And while there is confusion in the culture about what it means to be a Christian, where there's not confusion is in this idea that being a Christian is supposed to change who you are and how you operate. When people experience Christians, they should know that there's something different about them. They're not the same as everybody else. So what we've done is we've used Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, to kind of explore this idea of what does it mean to be an authentic Christian. And the reason that we've done this is not so that we can become Christian private investigators who go around and try to figure out if other people are Christians, but we've done this for our own benefit. We've done this so we can examine ourselves and see is what I claim to be true about me, really true about me based on what the Bible says it means to follow Jesus. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It actually says this. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now, what a test is, is it's an external indicator of what someone knows. It's a way to verify what's true. And so what this passage is saying is it's saying, okay, well, if if you claim to be a Christian, there should be some way of verifying if that's true. And so as we've looked at in Colossians chapter 3, we've identified three decisions that a Christian makes, and we've identified three practices of a Christian. We've identified three power sources. And you add those up, and what you find is there's nine indicators that Christ is, in fact, in you. And so as we've been looking at these, we've really been looking at ourselves and saying, are these true about me? How can I, how can I grow and move in these different areas? And so in Colossians 3, in the first four verses, we get those three decisions, the decisions to be with Christ and to focus on where Christ is and to live for when he returns. See, to be with Christ means we make the decision to attach our lives to him, to follow him. And then when it talks about where Christ is, what we're saying is instead of kind of living for what the world says is important, we're actually living on a different value system. We're, we're changing our values to live according to what heaven says is most important, because that's where Christ is. And then instead of 
I mean, as Christians, we're, we, we want everything to work out perfectly now. We want life to go well. But we realize that, that it's really not going to work out the way that it was supposed to until Jesus returns and puts everything back together. That's, that's when Christ returns. So as Christians, we're not just living for the moment, but, but we've got an eye on the future realizing that, that there's hope and that he's coming back and that he's going to set everything right. And those are the three decisions of an authentic Christian. And then those three decisions, they inform the practices. And so we identified in verses 5 through 14 that there are three practices in an authentic Christian. And these practices really help us kind of experience this very important shift in our lives where we move from using people and loving things to now we start to love people. And then we use things like they're supposed to be instead of getting it out of order. So the passage talks about put to death, therefore. And it's saying you need to put to death these, these items that we really raise to God's status. We, we elevate certain things of this world in our lives to where we really build our lives around them. We worship them. And the, the passage actually calls it idolatry. We, we idolize these things, saying put to death, therefore, those things that you're idolizing. And then it gives us two other practices that we can do, practices that we can put off or put away the habits of manipulation that we all have. And then we're supposed to put on the practice of love. And not just kind of positive feelings or strong sentiment, but actual love that asks the question, what can I do to help and benefit this other person? And as we do that, what's happening is this shift is taking place in our lives where we're moving from, again, using people and loving things to instead loving people and using things. So an authentic Christian engages in these practices through their life. What's interesting about this put off and this put on idea, it's actually very similar to changing clothes. It's a similar idea. So just like today, this morning, I, I'm not wearing the same clothes I wore yesterday. I put new clothes on. And then when I get home, I'm not going to wear these all day. I'm going to put a different set of clothes on that's more comfortable than this so I can relax. It's the same way with these practices of putting on love, it's something that constantly throughout the day, multiple times, we're putting off manipulation and we're choosing to put on love. It's just over and over something that we're doing. That's, that's what an authentic Christian does. But what, what, what you'll realize as you move forward is you'll experience situations um, where, where you kind of slide back into your old history and habits. One of the reasons for that is our, our history and our old way of doing life it's kind of like deep ravines in our, in our life. And just like water takes the path of least resistance, it's really easy to, for us to just kind of slip back into this old way of doing things. And we'll also realize that because we've decided to be with Christ and because we've decided to value what's valued where Christ is, we've picked up this invisible enemy over time. But what's great about the message of the Bible and even what's revealed in these verses is, thankfully, Christ is far more powerful than our tendency to slip into our past, and he's far more powerful than our enemy, the devil. And so in this passage, in the last three verses, there are three power sources that are revealed. The power sources of, it says, to, to let these things happen. They're all identified by the word let. The idea of to let is to allow something to take place. As a Christian, they're there, they're present, but we have to choose to allow these to flow through us. So when it comes to the peace of Christ, we let it rule in our lives. We realize that he's with us in the moment, and we operate based on that fact. And then when it comes to the word of Christ, to the words found in the Bible, we build our lives on those. 
They're the blueprints for life. We, we, we make it a, a dwelling where we go to it time and time again to, re- to re- receive rest and to be recharged and for God to, to kind of lift our eyes and lift our minds and then give us wisdom on how to go about approaching life. And then the final thing that we do, it's identified in verse 17, is it says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea is let live Christ's name. What it's communicating is that he is the most powerful. He has the most authority. And so instead of being our own bosses or instead of something in culture or some other person being what we're living for, we instead do everything based on who Christ is. We approach life in his direction, in his way. Just like, you know, you guys know the bracelets. It says, what would Jesus do? As Christians, we're asking that question. In this situation, what would Jesus do? What has his word revealed to me? How does he want me to approach it? How does he want me to interact with this person? So as we've gone through this, we've identified that there are these nine indicators of an authentic Christian. But one final element that we're going to address today as we close up this series is identified when it lists these three power sources, and it's the issue of gratitude. Because if you read these last three verses, what you'll find is there are three statements of gratitude in these final verses. So let's read this. I'll point these out. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. This is what it says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. With thankfulness. I keep saying with thanksgiving. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in these verses, when we read these three statements of gratitude, what stands out to us is, first of all, gratitude is something that we're commanded to do. It says, and be thankful. And then it, it makes the point that, that this thankfulness, it's supposed to flow out of the core of who we are. Because it then says in the next statement, it says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's supposed to, to come out of the depths of our being. And then if it wasn't clear enough that gratitude is incredibly important, it's a command, it's supposed to flow out of the core of who we are, then in this final verse, in the context of whatever you do, do everything, it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the idea we, we get from this passage is that gratitude or thankfulness is supposed to be a constant, ongoing activity of a Christian. It, it's supposed to become a characteristic of our life. When people think of Elliot, they think he's a thankful person. That's, that should be the idea that, that goes along with us. And so while that's what it says, it does kind of beg the question, okay, well, well, why is that? Like, what does gratitude do? What's the role that gratitude plays? So there are two things I want to look at, two ideas that have to do with the role of gratitude and how it plays out in our lives as an authentic Christian. So we're going to look at this idea of gratitude helps keep us on track. How does that work? And then the other part of what we're going to look at is how gratitude has an important role in in reattaching us to Christ's power. Actually, when we experience power downs in life, gratitude is uh, it's the quickest way to access the flow of Christ's power in our lives. So we're going to look at these two this morning. So let's start with the first one. Gratitude helps keep you on track. This is the first idea we're going to look at. Now, for most of us, uh, when it comes to our gratitude, we attach our gratitude to the circumstances that we experience in life. So we all have kind of expectations. We have, this is how I want life to work out. This is, 
This is what I want to see happen. It's been a busy, long day at work. This is what I want to see happen when I get home. We, we kind of have these expectations of how life is. Now, if the circumstances, if what we experience is above what we expected, if we're experiencing a better circumstance than what we thought it was going to be, then what happens is there's probably going to be thankfulness there. We're going to be grateful for what's happened. I mean, just imagine with me that it's the end of the month, you know, you're your boss gives out bonuses, you're expecting a bonus of $500, and he walks in and he's got a bonus for $1,000. Well, that's more than what you expected, so you're probably going to be thankful in that situation. But at the same time that that's true, when we attach our gratitude to our circumstances, what also happens is sometimes the circumstances are lower than what we expected. The way that we thought life was going to work out or we thought that a certain situation was going to take place doesn't take place, and so then we've got this issue of our expectations are here, but the circumstances are down here. And the distance there is an attitude of unthankfulness. And so often what will happen is we'll be disappointed. There will be anger, maybe resentment. We might get depressed. We'll start complaining. Because what we wanted to happen isn't happening. There's a difference. And so our gratitude is not present in that situation. An example of where I see this at work is in the life of my little girl. I've got this amazingly cute and fun and funny little girl. She's two and a half. She's a ton of fun. And often when I get home from work, we'll go on a walk as a family, try to burn some energy before the kids go to bed. We'll go on this walk, and we live pretty close to a grocery store. And so there's a certain intersection that we get to. And if we turn right, usually it means we're going to go to the grocery store, and maybe we'll get some ice cream, and then we'll go home and we'll eat ice cream. But if we turn left, it just means we're going to keep walking, and then we're going to go home, and we're not going to get any ice cream. So what do you think my little two-and-a-half-year-old does when we get to the intersection and we don't turn right? I mean, she's a two-year-old. She lays on the ground. She kicks. She screams. She embarrasses my wife and I. People are driving by, and this, there's people. They're, hopefully, they're empathetic, but they're probably judging us. Like, what did they do to that kid? She wanted ice cream. She didn't get the ice. She didn't get what she expected. She knows that if we go in this direction, her expectation isn't going to be met. So she throws a fit. She's not sitting there going, man, I'm so thankful that my parents are trying to think of how to burn energy so that I can have a better night's sleep. And if I sleep good, then they'll be better rested. And then they won't you know, be so quick to get upset with each other. And they'll have a better marriage. And then I'll have a better experience. She's not thinking any of that. She's just thinking expectation. The circumstances didn't meet my expectations, so I am not thankful in this situation. Us as adults, we operate very similar to how my little girl operates because our gratitude is attached to the circumstances we experience in life. And then we read passages like this one in Colossians 3 where it says constantly, ongoing, be active in communicating gratitude. Or we read other verses like this one, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says this, says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we read these passages and we think to ourselves, there's no way that's possible. That's another one of those ideas in the Bible where it sounds good, it's kind of wishful thinking, it would be nice, but in real life, there's just no way that's possible because our gratitude is attached to our circumstances, so we know that, you know, circumstances are, circumstances are like a roller coaster just constantly up and down, highs and lows. That means at one moment, we might be grateful when the circumstances are up, but then they take this dip and they go in the other direction and the, the gratitude is gone. So that means our experience with gratitude, is just, it's just brief stints. You know, we, we've got a gratitude for a moment, but then the gratitude quickly goes away. 
And so then again, we read these passages of all the time in every situation. We're just sitting there going, there is no way that's possible. Or maybe we read it and we're like, okay, well, it says that it should be possible, so I'm going to try it. Our gratitude's still attached to our circumstances, but I'm going to try to be grateful for everything. And then in this attempt to be grateful for everything, we, we, we find ourselves kind of faking it. I mean, it's like we're living in the middle of a bad country song and we're trying to be thankful. I lost my dog. I lost my house. I got fired from my job. My girl left me. I'm thankful. And it's just like, that's so fake. That's so contrived. And we, we know that's not real. But it's because our gratitude's attached to our circumstances. The reality as Christians is that our gratitude is not to be attached to our circumstances. We have something far greater than circumstances that we get to attach our gratitude to. We get to take our gratitude and we get to attach it to who God is and what God has done. This is very, very important to understand. Because you see, as a Christian, as we go through situations in life, this, as, I, as I studied through this this week and thought about it, this is this is very challenging for me personally. As I go through situations in life, the question that I'm really facing when it comes down to can I express gratitude or not, it's really a question of what's more important, my circumstances, what I'm experiencing right now, or who God is and what God has done. And so what will always indicate what we decide is what's most important in the moment, either our circumstances or who God is and what he's done, what will always indicate what we find most important is the ability to express gratitude in that moment. Because as a Christian, it's not supposed to be attached to our circumstances where it's just this roller coaster, but it's supposed to be attached to something that's solid and fixed, and that's who God is and what he's done. But because our tendency is to attach it to our circumstances, we need some practices and some habits, some stuff that we can do to, to take the gratitude and to attach it to God, to practice this over time regularly. And one of the best ways to do this is to make a gratitude list. Not a list based on the circumstances, again, because those can change, those come and go, but a list that's fixed on God. And the best way I know of to do that is to just take a passage of scripture, go through it, and ask the question, what does this say about God? What does this tell me about him? What does this say about what God's done for me? How, how have I experienced that in my life? And then use that as the foundation to express gratitude to God. Actually, in the scripture, as you read through it all the time, over and over, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, what you'll find is examples of the authors of the Bible doing this, taking time to just reflect on who God is, what he's done, and then they give thanks to him. So just an example for us this morning as we're wrapping up this passage, Colossians 3. Let's just do this with the last three verses, just so you guys can get a feel for this. So Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So the idea of the peace of Christ, we experience his peace when we remember that he's with us in the moment. So a question is, how have you experienced God's hand in your life in the past? How have you experienced him guiding you through a difficult situation? How have you seen him show up in the moment? Use that to remind yourself that he, he's with me right now and he's present. And thank him for that. Thank, thank him for the fact that we can even have peace. I mean, I mean it, it's saying like peace is, is possible and you can have a peace that lasts and does not come and go based on the circumstances or what you're experiencing in the moment. You can have a peace 
where you're not easily disturbed or agitated by worry or doubt or fear because of what Christ has done. That's an amazing idea. Most people, peace is kind of like the clouds in the sky. They just kind of float overhead. It just kind of floats in and out of their life. But as a Christian, we can have a peace that lasts. That's amazing. That's something we get to thank God for, that he promises that and he makes that available to us. The next verse, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This, this again, just as I think about this, I mean, consider the fact that we have access to the Bible, which is 66 separate books written over 1,400 years where God reveals to us who he is and how we can have a relationship with him. And we have this book in multiple modern English translations that we can read and understand. That's amazing. The fact that he would, he would think of us enough to say, okay, I'm not only going to reveal who I am, but I'm going to put it on paper so you can go back to it again and again and read it and learn it and figure out who I am and then build your life based on how I tell you to build your life. That's amazing. I cannot believe, God, that you've done that and that for thousands of years we've had this book to study and that it, in all the attempts that society's made on it to change it or to eliminate things, it still stands. That's something to thank God for. Build our lives on it. The next thing that the verse says, it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When Bevan explained this to us, he explained how the idea of, of teaching is we're, we're learning something new. Somebody is instructing us in something new that we weren't aware of. And then admonishing is somebody's coming alongside us and they're, they're helping us figure out how it looks like, how it, how it works in our life to take this and put it into practice. So an immediate thing that we could be thankful for is, is Bevan, our senior pastor, he has spent hundreds of hours on this passage of Colossians 3 in personal time and in preparation for these messages helping us understand this passage, helping us see what it means and what it looks like in our lives. God, I thank you that Bevan, you've given him the mind that you've given him, you've given him the time, and that he has faithfully studied it so that he could present it to us. God, I thank you for that. The next thing the passage says, it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We just got to sing with the worship band at the beginning of the service. We get to come together as a church. Our eyes are lifted. Our hearts are encouraged as we sing praise to God as a church. I mean, again, the fact that we can gather in public and sing out loud is amazing. There are parts all over the world where this isn't happening. All throughout human history, this is not a common experience. The fact that we get to do this with this many people on a regular basis, God, I thank you for this church and allow me to be a part of it. The final verse, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The idea there is that he has... He is in the position of the highest authority. Most people are consumed by or focused on whatever names are listed on the evening news. Whoever the evening news talks about, that's who most people in the world are focused on. Most people in the world conclude that the most powerful people, the people that should be looked up to or feared or whatever, are the people that are listed on the evening news. But we get to serve someone who the Bible refers to as the king of kings. And we get to serve someone who the Bible refers to as the Lord of lords. Not somebody who's just a temporary blip on the timeline of history, but somebody who is the, the greatest and most powerful person who ever lived. And as a result of that, God has elevated him to the highest position of authority. That means that my life in service to God, whatever I'm doing, but when my life, when I'm doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, I know it's not going to be a waste. 
because I'm not serving or following or living according to a less than power. I'm serving and following and living according to the greatest power. I get to thank him that my life's not going to be a waste when I serve him. Again, just, just take a passage. Think through it. What does this say about God? What, is this, what does this say about me? How have I experienced that in my life? Use that to take your gratitude, pull it off of the circumstances, and fix that to God. And what you're going to experience over time as you do this, you make a regular practice of this. You go to God's word and you use that as the basis. What you're going to experience is a practice of this, of taking your gratitude and attaching it to God. Really what this regular practice of doing this with gratitude does is it calibrates your faith. It calibrates your faith. It helps you fix your eyes. See, on my phone, I'll get this thing, this image, and it'll say calibrate. And usually it happens, you know, I get an app out and I've got a you know, I've got a, I'm trying to get direction somewhere. The app in some way is going to lead me or interpret where I'm at and how to get to a location. So it'll say calibrate. So, you know, you twist your phone and the ball goes around. And what it's doing is it makes sure that your phone is lined up with reality. North, south, east, west, all that stuff. So then when your phone says, okay, you need to head in this direction, it's actually giving you accurate directions. Or when your phone tracks your activity, it's actually tracking your activity based on reality. When we calibrate our faith through fixing our gratitude to God, that's how we stay on track. Because now our eyes are fixed on God and we're thinking about what he says is most important and remembering what he's done in our lives and how he can be present in the moment. And then as we move forward, instead of getting distracted by all these other things, we remember that, okay, I am, I've got my eyes fixed on God and in faith I'm going to walk with and follow him. So when you make this a regular practice, you're taking your faith and you're calibrating it based on the reality of who God is and what he's done, you're going to stay on track. But if that's going to happen, what you need is a regular practice where you're going to God's word and you're thanking him for what he's done and who he is. The second role of gratitude is gratitude is the quickest way to access the power of Christ. Gratitude is the quickest way to access the power of Christ. I already kind of touched on this a little bit, but as you move forward in your walk with God, what you're going to experience is that your power, your effort, your ability, it's not enough. You can't rely on yourself to grow. God has to work through you to help you grow. So that's why we talked about these three power sources, these, these three ways that Christ's power flows through our lives. It's, it's always there. It's always available to us. We just have to let it flow through our lives. But when, when that happens, God moves us forward and we grow and we become the people that he wants us to be. But over time, what we're going to experience because of our past and because of we have an enemy and all these other things, what we're going to experience is we're going to experience these power downs. Whether we get discouraged or maybe we, get, we start to worry, and when you worry, the temptation is to take control of a situation, or when you're discouraged, the temptation is to, to give up, or maybe we experience a temptation to build our life on a foundation other than Christ, or maybe it's just a moment of weakness. But we'll experience these, and they're, they're really power downs. And in a power down, the temptation is always to rely on your own ability and try to move forward on your own effort instead of relying on Christ. And the quickest way to get back into the flow of Christ's power is gratitude. Now, I'll admit this is counterintuitive. It's kind of like I moved here, you know, about 10 years ago. And when I moved here, I decided, okay, the first thing I got to do is I got to get in the water and I've got to learn how to surf. So I got a surfboard, I got a wetsuit, started going out to the ocean. I had some friends who surfed, so they would take me out with them. And quickly, really, really quickly after getting in the water, they taught me about these things called rip currents. 
And what a rip current is, is the water's moving towards the shore, the waves are crashing, it's pushing all this water in, but then that water's got to get out, it's got to go somewhere. So it, it goes back out to the ocean, and when it does, it kind of, it forms this river. It's kind of this current that flows back out into the ocean. And if you're just swimming or you're surfing, you can easily get caught in these things, and then they'll just kind of, they'll suck you right out to sea. Now, what do most people do when they're in a rip current? They, I mean, just ask a lifeguard. They'll try to swim back into shore. So they're swimming as hard as they can trying to get back to the beach, but they're not getting anywhere because they're getting sucked out to sea. But we're all beach people, so we know what you're supposed to do in a rip current. What are you supposed to do in a rip current? That's right, swim to the side. It's counterintuitive. Most people don't think of that. I mean, just go to the beach and you'll see most people that get stuck in a rip current, their first thought is, oh, just swim to the side, a few feet, I'm good to go. No, they're just exerting all this effort, trying as hard as they can to get back into the beach. It's usually what happens when we experience a power down. When in some way we kind of feel like, okay, I'm on my own. Where's God's power in my life? Oh, I just, I just got to try harder. I just got to do better. I just need to do more. Well, reality, we've got to get out of the power down and back in the flow of Christ's power. And the quickest way to do that is to practice gratitude. It's swimming sideways out of that flow and back into the flow of Christ's power. Now, I don't know what this is going to look like for you in your life. I don't know the situations you're facing. It might, it might be you're in a situation and you don't have the time to sit down and really think through this, but, but you can at least think and say words of gratitude to God. You're, you're in a circumstance and it doesn't look like the circumstance is going to go your way. Maybe it's a dire situation even. Well, you know what? God's greater than your circumstance. Maybe it looks like doom and destruction is ahead, and so you start to worry and get consumed by that. Well, you know what? The Bible says that God will work all things for our good. That's a promise. Those are verses. Those are truths from the Bible. Use that. Use that to just say, God, I thank you that, that you're greater than my circumstance. God, I thank you that you have a plan in this situation, and you will work all things for good. And get out of that flow. For me, something somebody challenged me to do recently is just when the, when the opportunity presents itself, if I'm experiencing this, pull out a piece of paper and just write down, what am I thinking, what am I feeling? I'll just write it down. I'm, I'm discouraged because I had an interaction with this person and it didn't go very well. I didn't handle myself very well. Here we go again. Elliot's so stupid. He screwed up the situation. You know, it's like, what's this guy? You know? And that's what I'm thinking and feeling. Well, what's true? Well, what's true is Jesus died for me. What's true is God has a plan for my life. What's true is God, even though he didn't want me to fail, he will use my failure to help me grow. He's not sitting there in heaven beating me up, judging me. He's sitting there saying, hey, Elliot, okay, let's get up and let's move forward. That's what's true. You know what? I can thank God for that. God, thank you for the fact that you're not giving up on me. You don't look at me as a screw-up, but you want to help me move forward, and you've got a plan for me moving forward. You're not going to leave me on my own to figure this out. God, I thank you and praise you for that swim out of the current and get back in the flow of God's power. Maybe you need to sit down with a passage of scripture like we talked about earlier, and you just need to go through it. You just need to outline it and, and figure out, okay, what, what's true about God? What is, how's God been at work in my life? And just use that gratitude to get out of that power down and back into the flow of Christ's power. I don't know what it looks like, but you've got to have something. You've got to do the counterintuitive. Use gratitude to swim sideways out of that flow and get back into the power source where Christ's working and moving through you. See, as you move forward as an authentic Christian, what you'll find is gratitude plays an incredibly important role in us moving forward. And if you allow your gratitude to be attached to your circumstances, 
then your experiences will be one of a very bumpy roller coaster ride where you're constantly getting discouraged and getting ripped off track and all other kinds of stuff is happening. But if you could just take that gratitude and fix it to God and calibrate your faith, you'll be able to keep moving in those situations. And another thing that you're going to find again and again is, is you're going to experience these power downs. Where in the moment, the temptation is, I need to rely on myself because I'm going at this alone. But you need to remember that, no, Christ's power is here. So I'm going to use gratitude to get out of this and get back into the flow of Christ's power. So I'm going to, I'm going to think and I'm going to pray and I'm going to say words of gratitude to God that are based on reality. And then when I get back into the flow of Christ's power, I'm going to, how he says the world works, I'm going to believe that and I'm going to operate, operate based on that. What he says is most important, I'm going, to, I'm going to believe that's most important. I'm going to put that most important in my life. So you experience this, what's going to happen is, instead of that gratitude being that roller coaster ride, you're going to actually get to experience what the Bible talks about, where we can be thankful. We can let it flow out of the core of who we are. We can, in every circumstance, whatever we do with thanksgiving to God, it's something that we can experience. It'll keep us on track, reattach us to Christ's power. As we wrap up this series, what I want to do is I want to invite all of you guys to stand with me. And what we're going to do in conclusion is we're going to read... Colossians 3, 1 through 17, aloud as a group. So if you'll stand, we'll start reading this. This will be projected on the screen behind me. So we'll start in verse 1. It starts with, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You can grab a seat. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we... Thank you and praise you for what you have done. You are the one who came up with the plan to restore us to a right relationship with you. 
Jesus, you then are the one who came to earth and you lived a perfect life as an example for us of what real life looks like. And then you are the one who willingly went to the cross on our behalf so that we might be saved and not experience the consequences for the, for the, the evil and the damage that we've done. And then, Jesus, you rose and you conquered death so that we could experience new life, life in you. And then, Holy Spirit, you are the one that has come, and when we make a decision to live and to put Jesus as the authority in our life and to forgive us of our sins, Holy Spirit, you're the one that indwells us and moves us forward. God, I thank you for this marvelous plan that you have for us. I pray, just like this passage focuses on that when we, when people look at our lives and when people experience interactions with us, that they would see that there is something different about them. And that would all flow out of the fact that we've decided to be with Christ, to value what Christ values where he is, and to live for when Christ returns. And that everything we do would flow out of that. And people would see there's a difference about them a difference that's because they have met Jesus and Jesus is transforming them and his power is working through them. God, I ask you that that would be true of us. I pray that these practices, the practices of putting off manipulation and putting on love and putting to death worship of idolatry, God, and I pray that even the regular practice of gratitude, I pray that we would engage in that. And when people interact with us and they spend time with us, they would see again there's something very different and all of that would point to you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.